welcome to Blessed Hope Podcast. This is a media outreach by Blessed Hope Bible Presbyterian Church. Today, we will be looking at the sermons of Robert Murray McChain on the book of Hebrews, edited by Michael D. McMullen, published by the Banner of Truth Trust. Sermon 23 The Eternal Inheritance, the Believer's Portion And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Hebrews 9 verse 15 There are three things to be attended to in these words, and we must take them in a different order from that in which they stand in the text. We shall consider, first, the inheritance which is here spoken of, second, the people who receive this inheritance, third, what Christ did that they might obtain this inheritance. 1. The Eternal Inheritance You know that when Adam was created, God placed him in paradise and gave him an inheritance. He was monarch of all he surveyed. When he climbed up some height and looked around upon the hills and the valleys, the rivers and the pleasant fields, he could say it was all his own. But you know also that when Adam fell, he lost his inheritance. God cast him out of the garden and placed at its entrance cherubim with a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the approach to the tree of life. Adam was now a disinherited man. By please God, in the depths of his infinite wisdom, to provide another inheritance for the seed of the second Adam. And we accordingly read that God has chosen them as a peculiar people and made them heirs of that inheritance. It is here called an eternal inheritance. In another place, it is called a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In another, it is called a better country. The Apostle Peter describes it as an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. In the text, it is called an eternal inheritance. It is called an inheritance because it is got in the way of heirship. You know that an heirship is a property which a man leaves to his son. So God gives this inheritance to those that are his sons, to those that are his adopted children. Many men would buy it, but it cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It must be got through adoption. If you would get it, you must be adopted, chosen of God to receive it. Again, brethren, it is called an eternal inheritance. The inheritance under the first covenant was a temporal inheritance. God said to Abraham, Unto you will I give this land. And he said to Jacob, Unto thee and to thy seed will I give this land. It was a goodly inheritance, for the mountains dropped down new wine, and the hills flowed with milk. Yet it was but a temporal inheritance. Such is the inheritance of every natural man. Is but a temporal one. His gold and his riches are a wasting portion. They take unto themselves wings and fly away, and then 
Worldly fame is more fleeting still. It is but a breath, a vapour, that appear for a little while, and then vanisheth away. And worldly pleasures are more deceitful and transient. Still, they are indeed sweet to the taste of the natural man, but bitter in the belly. Ah, brethren, all the inheritance that a Christless man has is temporal, but those that are called of God receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. This inheritance is eternal in two respects. What the believer gets now is eternal. The grace he gets now is eternal grace. It brings with it a peace that will ever last. It is the dawn of a day that will never set. There is something enduring in the present possession of a believer. He has already a peace that cannot be disturbed by death. And then, brethren, not only does a believer have something in hand that is eternal, he shall hereafter too get something that is eternal. He shall stand in the presence and enjoy the eternal favour of God and hear the words of welcome, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He shall see the face of God without a cloud, and that to all eternity. Here, O believer, you have many clouds to darken your view, but there, there will be none. And then there is being with Christ, which is another part of the eternal inheritance. Here you mourn an absent Lord, but then your mourning shall be turned into joy. The promise to the dying saint is, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You shall dwell in the sunlight of God's presence forever. There shall then be no separation, no mountains of better. God himself shall be your eternal inheritance. God said to Aram, Thou shalt have no inheritance among them. I am thy inheritance. So he says to every believing soul, I am thy inheritance. We can therefore sing, The lines are fallen unto us in pleasant places. Yea, we have a goodly heritage. This is the promise of eternal inheritance, which all of you who are believers receive. But those of you who are unbelievers will one day say, Fools that we were, to seek so foully after worldly things, and miss the eternal inheritance. I now come to inquire who they are that receive this eternal inheritance. In the text, they are said to be called. There can be no doubt that by the called, the apostle here means those who are effectually called. There are many, you know, who are outwardly called, who never receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Many are called, but few chosen. All who sit under the gospel ministry are called. The king that made the feast has sent out his servants to invite to the marriage, but few will come. Yea, all the scriptures bear testimony that few are chosen. And not only do those who hear the gospel receive the call, but all those that live in a Christian land are called. Some think they will escape if they do not come to hear the gospel. But they cannot escape, even though they try to put the thought out of their mind that there is a Saviour. There is a voice in the silent Sabbath morning. When the ploughman has laid aside his plough and the weaver his loom, 
that invites you to the Savior. And when you see the multitude going to the house of God, whether in the town or in the lonely countryside, there is a voice that says, Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. In like manner, brethren, the providences that are happening in your families are called to you. That fever which is taking so many of you away is God's knock at your door to come to Christ. Yet all that are called will not come. The Bible says it, reason confirms it, that many are called, but few chosen. Who then are the called? Those who are effectually called. It is sometimes set forth in scripture as drawing. Draw me, we will run after thee. It is sometimes called teaching. Every man that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. It is sometimes said to be causing them to hear the Saviour's voice. The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. It is called in one place, causing them to approach unto God. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest, and causest to approach unto thee. Give it whatever name you will, it is a calling, a drawing by Christ himself. No voice but his can call you, no arm but his can draw you. And then, brethren, all who are thus called do receive the promise. And they that receive the promise cling to Christ for its fulfillment. They get the earnest of it now, and the reality of it afterwards. My dear brethren, have you been called? I do not ask you if you have been outwardly called. I know you have. Ever since you heard the gospel, you have been called. But what I want to know is this. Has there come power with the word? Has there come a divine power with the word? My brethren, look to it. For if you have not been effectually called, you will never receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And if so, you had better never have heard the sound of a Sabbath bell. If you are not effectually called, dear fellow sinner, you will remember you had the outward call when in hell. I come now to the third point, and that is, what Christ did in order that the called might receive the eternal inheritance. For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You observe, brethren, in order that the called might receive the eternal inheritance, Christ became the mediator of the New Testament and laid down his life that they might receive that inheritance. To understand this, notice, they that are called had transgressions lying on them. They are in themselves no better than others. They are in the first Adam as well as other men. They are under wrath as well as others. Nay, further, they have committed transgressions as well as other men have done. All have committed transgressions under the First Testament. You know, brethren, that the law given at Mount Sinai was a clear revelation of the divine law. Now, all the transgressions of the elect are transgressions of the First Covenant, which was so clearly revealed from Mount Sinai. All the sacrifices under the First Covenant could not take away transgressions. See Hebrews 9 verse 13. 
They made men ceremonially clean, but they could not give men a real pardon. They could not satisfy the demands of a broken law. And therefore, all the sacrifices of the first covenant left sinners unpardoned. Now, I want you to notice the central point, namely that Christ became the mediator of the new covenant in order that he might die and redeem the transgressors who were under the first covenant. First, he became a mediator and he said to his father, What thou demandest of these sinners, I will do. God said, I demand their death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Christ said, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, To do thy will, O my God. And then, not only did he become mediator, but he became mediator in order that he might die. He took transgressions out of the way, made an end of sin, and brought in an everlasting righteousness. He bore the sins of many and made reconciliation for the transgressors. Such is the meaning of this verse. Now, brethren, let us draw a few solemn lessons from these. The called have sins like other men. They who are called have transgressions against the moral law, as well as other men. If it had not been so, Christ would not have died. If they had been without sin, the mediator would not have needed to die. Should not this humble those of you whom God has called, when you consider that you are no better than other men? You are no better than any that are already in hell. Oh, the distinguishing mercy of God, that He should make a difference where there was none! This is a second lesson and is a very solemn one. You know, the called are those whom He loved from eternity. Yet, though He loved them, God would not bring one of them to heaven without an atonement. Ah, brethren, how solemnly does this teach you the meaning of these words. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. How many proud men are there here who think they will go to heaven without blood? They think to go to heaven without the blood of Christ, but even the elect could not go to heaven without blood. The mediator had to lay down his life before the elect could get the promise of eternal inheritance. How do you think that you can get to heaven, O oh, foolish sinner, without blood? This is another solemn lesson you should learn. We are told in one place, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, this passage is just an explanation of it. All the love of God to the called, they were in equal danger with others. They were under the transgressions of the moral law. The son pitied their case. He agreed to die for them. He said, I will bear their transgressions, though it should cost me the groans of Gethsemane, though it should cost me the agonies of Golgotha. He loved the church and gave himself for it. This was love, disinterested love. Brethren, it passes knowledge. We cannot comprehend it. We can only glance at it now. We shall gaze at it to all eternity. All that have come to Christ have peace more or less. We who have believed do enter into rest. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The world think it a kind of fancy. 
This passage says it is well founded. It says God has laid all our sins on the mediator. He has died for our sins. He has borne our sins in his own body on the tree. We have entirely obeyed the law in the mediator. We have entirely suffered the penalty due to sin in the mediator. All those who receive the promise of eternal inheritance have peace. Our peace is well grounded. It is grounded on this, that Christ has borne our sins in his own body on the tree. It is not because we are better than others, but because God laid our sins on the mediator. We have no other ground of peace than this. We want no other. This is our peace, and this is the ground of it. Is this your peace, sinners? Oh, that you were wise. Oh, that you would consider this. Oh, that you were not fools with a price in your hands and no heart to buy. May the Lord bless the preaching of His own word. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Blessed Hope Podcast, a media outreach by Blessed Hope Bible Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit our website at www. .blessedhope.sg Our sermons are available at www.sermonaudio.com slash blessedhope The Lord bless you and keep you.